Good morning again, Forest Park. Happy Father's Day again. Great to see you guys. You know, a few months ago, I pulled away from most social media platforms. I still interact and occasionally post, but for uh, far less than I used to. I just, I lost interest, partly because of the incessant arguing and fighting over who's right and which side is most stupid and who has the correct statistics and how ridiculous whichever president occupies the White House is and how ungodly these people are and on and on. Anymore, if you're not 100% on this side, you, you are the enemy. You, you deserve to be canceled and mocked and ridiculed and maligned. We live in a polarized world. Everything is black or white, very little gray. Every issue is either or, rarely both and. And it's tragic because so many good people in politics and education and religion are being lost because the current cancel culture and hostile political environment and toxic religion are wearing good people out. They're falling quickly, and we are not replacing them with nearly enough quality people. And have you ever wanted to scream in the middle of all of it and just say, you know, I'm sick of this? Like, God, when are you going to do something? When are you going to sort this mess out? Have you ever wanted to get involved and sort it out yourself? You ever wanted to get in there and just, you know, blow the whistle, call a timeout, say, okay, you sit down, you know, you get in the game. I mean, you know, I think that's what a lot of people try to do through their social media posts. You know, man, when I get finished with this post, she is going to bow to my point. You know, there's no way this idiot has ever seen this statistic before, but when I post it, he is going to realize just how wrong he is. When I put this quote up, they're going to be silent and it never works, does it? I mean, everybody just gets more committed to their views and their opinions and their politicians. The United States of America is far from united, and so is the church. And here's what I find alarming. I have conservative friends. I have liberal friends. And when you speak to a lot of them, not all of them, but many, they believe they know the problem with the country. And they know the solution to all the mess. The problem is, and you might want to write this down because this is some good stuff here. I'm going to help you. The problem is the views and opinions of the other side. That's the problem. And the solution is to get rid of as many of those bigots, racist, haters of America, people who want to take our guns, people who only want to hand out, people who hate gay people, insurrectionists, Trumpers, greedy, wealthy white people, lazy minorities, immigration, abortion, religious zealots. You just kind of fell out the list. That's the problem. We got, we, you know, and the solution is to get rid of those people. And I have Pentecostal friends, Baptist friends, Catholic friends, and atheist friends. And when you speak with a lot of them, not all, but many, they believe they know the problem with the church and they know the solution to all the mess. The problem is the views and opinions of the other side. And the solution is to get out all the compromisers, the liberal theologians, the gay Christians, the purity culture, the megachurch pastors, the women-hating Baptists, the holy-rolling Pentecostals, the idol-worshiping Catholics, the God-hating atheists, you just fill out your list. That's the, that's the solution, get rid of them. So let me summarize, okay? The problem with our country and the problem with the church is summed up like this. Them. That's the problem. And the solution is us. And if we could get rid of millions of them 
and we could replace the empty space with millions of us, then things would get so much better faster. Let's get specific. If we could uproot that politician and that Supreme Court judge and that pastor and that movie star and that pop singer and that author and that news anchor and that federal judge and put in some people who think and believe and fight for what really matters, we would return our country and we would return our church worth loving again, one that we could all be proud of. Because what's right and wrong are so clear. Am I right? I mean, only an idiot would not be able to determine between right and wrong. I mean, the Bible is crystal clear. Nobody really fights over what the Bible actually says. It's so clear. Righteousness and justice and freedom are so clear. The mission of the church is so clear. Nobody argues over what the mission of the church ought to be. What this country is about is so clear. The Constitution is so easy to understand and apply. About as easy as the Bible, right? So let's get in there. Let's sort it all out. Let's put the right people over here, the wrong people over there. Here's an observation, a couple of observations. One, your desire to sort it out, to make it clear, to replace the people who are the real problems, to have more people who are like us and less people who are like them, that is a very common desire. In fact, every group of people through history up until today think they are what is best for our society and for our church and for our country. And every group of people wants to get in there and make it right. Because if these people take over, it's all downhill after that, right? We got to stop that. Here's another observation, and this one you might want to put a seatbelt on for. The desire to clean house, to get rid of, to set things right, to do whatever it is you want to call it, is most often not a fruit of God's spirit. It is rarely the heart of Jesus. And it is most often a fruit of our carnal flesh oozing up from a heart of anger, judgmentalism, vengeance, and pride. And it will do all of us a world of good to abandon those attitudes, comments, jokes, and social media posts as quickly as possible and make a run to the feet of Jesus and learn. Now, before we get to another story Jesus told, I want you to see this interaction Jesus has with two of his disciples because every single time I read this interaction, I see myself in it. And I would guess that there are a few of you here who could really put yourself within this quick little story, just kind of a setup for the stories we're actually going to get to. This is going to, you know, kind of paint the backdrop, if you will. Luke chapter 9. Let me just read this to you. As the time approached when Jesus was taken up to heaven, he determined to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead of him. Along the way, they entered a Samaritan village. If you were with us last week, then you learned a lot about the Samaritans and Samaritan villagers. But the Samaritan villagers refused to welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to consume them? You got to love it. Come on. Tell me that is not the attitude of a lot of people right there. Our country would be so much better if all those people would simply be consumed and removed from our world. 
Our church would be so much better if those people would simply be consumed and removed from the church. God, you want us to call down fire? I'll be happy to call down fire. If you want me to call down fire, I'll be happy to call down fire. You can just consume them all right on the spot and we'll all be better if they're out of the picture. Because see, I know what you're trying to do. I understand your mission. I know what you're about. And those people are in your way. Let's just kill them. Let's just get rid of them. And if we can get them out of the way, we can go on and do what it is that you want us to do. Come on. You felt that way. What does Jesus do? But Jesus turned and spoke sternly to them. Some translation says he rebuked them. He basically looked at them and said, stop it. What you're saying is so far away from the kingdom of heaven. What you're saying is so far away from my heart. What you're saying is so far removed from what it's really all about. Stop it. You think Jesus might speak sternly to a few of us as soon as we're finished hitting send on that email? Do you think he might look at us and rebuke us whenever we hit publish on that blog? Preach that sermon and we walk out and we go, man, that was a good sermon and Jesus would just like rebuke the pastor for it? Do you think it's possible that after we put that meme and share it and everybody laughs, Jesus might go, It's not really about my kingdom right there. Do you think it's possible once we tell that joke and everybody laughs at the joke and and we use the politician as the brunt of the joke or the pastor as the brunt of the joke or a fellow Christian as the brunt of the joke or another person and Jesus might go, you know what? I know you find humor in that, but that's not my spirit. I think so. So much passion and volume and energy in politics, preaching, writing, posting, is not flowing from a river of wisdom, love, truth, integrity, but from a river of hatred, bigotry, anger, jealousy, and ignorance. Folks, listen, the volume of a sermon doesn't make it true. The popularity of a politician doesn't sanction his or her actions. The passage of a law doesn't mean it's right. The size of a crowd doesn't justify why they march. So with all that as a backdrop, I want us to look at three back-to-back stories Jesus tells us. And we would often read these stories kind of disjointedly. Like, well, he's saying, I don't really know what he's saying, but it sounds kind of interesting. And they're all tucked away in Matthew 13, and they have an overall point. And I think the point is so important. They're brief parables. They're recorded back to back, and these three parables give us a glimpse into what the kingdom of heaven is like. And here's why this is important. One more caveat, and then we're going to jump in. The average Christian, and I think I'm probably looking at several average Christians. Some of you, I know, you're above average. Okay, that's fine. Some of you are below average. I'm not going to label you, but just the average Christian, okay, The average Christian trying to do his or her best to follow Jesus and be a good member of his or her local church, be a good citizen, vote their conscience, be a good spouse, be a good parent, on and on. The average Christian must wonder every now and again, which way is God's way? And I see all the streams, I see all the roads, I see all the options, which way is the right way? 
what's the kingdom of heaven really like? I mean, is it the screaming preacher supporting gun rights? Is that the way of heaven? Is it the church supporting gay rights? Is that the way of heaven? Is it this denomination that forbids women to lead? Is it this anti-abortion movement? Is the kingdom of heaven wrapped in an American flag or is the kingdom of heaven passive? Which way is the right way? What's the kingdom of heaven like? Which is the way of heaven? And I am confident questions like these plague the minds and hearts of the early disciples just like they do ours. You think we only have division in the church today? Division has always been part of the church. Paul had to come in often and correct the church because they would go off here and they would argue there. And some of them said, well, I, I was baptized by Apollos and I was baptized by Peter and I was baptized by Paul. And little divisions were always rising up and Paul was trying to straighten it out. The disciples, would, apostles would come in and try to straighten it out. Divisions always been part. James and John, walking with Jesus, wanted to kill people. Think about that. It's the reason Jesus tells these stories. So Matthew 13, let's go. Jesus told them another parable. I'm going to tell you what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like someone who planted good seed in a field. Now let's stop there. Let's work our way through these word pictures. You've got to process this, picture this, imagine this in your mind. And if we do, we're going to see how it applies to us. According to Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like someone who planted good seed in a field. First question, where is the kingdom of heaven planted? Where is it sown? It's sown in a farmer's field. Now, when you imagine these farmers at this time planting seeds, don't think about the seeds how we plant today. They didn't have large tractors and GPS and, you know, massive combines and thousand acre fields. They didn't have that. They would go out and, and throw the seed out into the field and it would fall all over the place. Some of it would get on shallow ground. Some would get on deep fertile ground. Some would get in rocks. Some would get in all kinds of different places. It was everywhere. So when a farmer sowed seed at that time, he sowed all over, scattered seed everywhere. So here's the first mind-bending observation from this parable. Jesus says there is no place where the kingdom of heaven isn't planted. The seed of God's kingdom is everywhere. And the kingdom of God is at work everywhere. He's lifting these disciples' minds up. They want to kill people. They want to sort things out. He's lifting their minds up. And he's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going to tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who goes out and sows seed all over his field. So where are you going to see the kingdom of God? Where's the kingdom of God at work? Not simply here at church when you, you know, worship God, lift your hands, clap along, sing along, listen to a message. It's not just the kingdom of God when you feed the homeless or go on a mission trip. The seed of God's kingdom is at work and it is present when you are in your cubicle making phone calls. When you are commuting in traffic, when you stop by and get a coffee on your way to work, in your meetings, when you're preparing dinner for your family, when you're giving your kids a bath, when you're scrubbing the toilet, when you sleep in late, when you work third shift, and any and all situations, the kingdom of God is there like it is here, and it's working 24 hours a day. And not only is it working in all places, it's working on people. 
Folks, you've never met a person who is not made in the image and likeness of God. You have never met a man, woman, boy, or girl who is not, God is not working within them at some level. You have never met a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl who does not reflect God's beauty at some level. We like to think that some people have God and some people don't. And the people who tend to think that some do and some don't always seem to put themselves in the category of having God. We always like to draw the line where we are included. I've never had anybody come up to me and say, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the gospel and thinking a lot about the kingdom of God and I've been drawing lines and putting some people out and some people in. I just want you to know, I've come to a conclusion, I'm out. It's always a list of somebody else who's out. We love that. But according to this picture, Jesus paints the kingdom of heaven as at work in every place and every person. Yes, some, some soil is deeper. Yes, some soil is more shallow. Yes, some produces faster and more. And some you know, produce a whole lot. But it's everywhere and it's working at all the time. The kingdom of heaven is sown throughout the field of the world. But watch this. It's not the full picture. But while people were sleeping, an enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and went away. Now, sleeping is normal for farmers. No one can or should stay awake all the time. A good farmer plants seeds and leaves them alone to do what seeds do. No farmer goes out and plants seeds and then stands there with a shotgun, you know, guarding the seeds. That's not normal. Normally, you plant the seed, you do what you need to do, and you go on about your business. You go home, you go to sleep. The seeds do what seeds do. This farmer went to sleep. His field hands went to sleep. The seeds are in the ground. They will germinate. They will begin to grow. Eventually, they'll push through the soil. Eventually, you'll see green come up, and eventually, there'll be a harvest. So the farmer did his work, and he went to sleep. Nothing unusual. Here's what's unusual. An enemy came, and an enemy planted weeds among the wheat. No one expected this to happen, and it doesn't seem like there was a whole lot they could have done about it because they were asleep. The enemy waited until they were asleep. Then the enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. An enemy waited until the farmer and field hands were kind of at their weakest moment. They slipped in. The enemy slipped in and caused a huge inconvenience. The enemy mixed weeds into the field. They didn't have sprays like we have today. They didn't have abilities to, you know, kill the weeds but not kill the wheat. They didn't have all the stuff that we have today. So now the weeds, weeds are coming up with the wheat. In the middle of God's beautiful kingdom, Jesus says, an enemy will come and intentionally plant ugliness. So when the stalks sprouted up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the farmer must have been confused at that time because he planted wheat, but he started to notice other things growing among the wheat. Now pause. Isn't that our world? Right there. Isn't what Jesus describes a reflection of what you see around you? What? Wheat and weeds. That's what frustrates us so, so much, right? You see beauty and you see ugliness growing side by side. Let me make it real clear. You work beside a person who is kind and loving and generous. And then right beside that person, maybe the next office over is someone who is rude and selfish and difficult. Wheat and weeds growing side by side. 
You scan social media in between baby pictures and funny jokes and vacation photos of someone insulting another person and trying to stir up emotions. What is that? Wheat and weeds together. You hear the gospel of grace and mercy and love and you come to a church and you hear that and then you go to another church and they want to exclude as many people as possible and make it difficult for people to get into God's kingdom. What is that? Wheat and weeds growing together. There is always an enemy sowing weeds in the middle of wheat. And you're like, yes, that's exactly right. And I know some of those people who are weeds and I know some of those churches who are weeds. Well, let's go a step deeper, shall we? One day you are kind and loving and generous. And then the next day you are rude and selfish and uncaring. Wheat and weeds. One day you say no thank you to that thing. The next time you say, ah, why not? And you do it again. Wheat and weeds. Wheat and weeds without. Wheat and weeds within. So here's our natural uh, comment to that process. You walk out into the field and you see weeds and you see wheat. You look out across a congregation, you see weeds, you see wheat. You go to work, you see weeds, you see wheat. You look in the mirror, you see weeds, you see wheat. The common response is exactly what happens in this story. The servants of the landowner came and said to him, Master, we're confused. Didn't you plant good seed in your field? How is it that it has weeds? Aren't you just confused sometimes? When you see it all mixed together, how can she be so kind and so evil at the same time? How can our country be so great and so corrupt? How could the church be a lighthouse of hope and hurt so many people? Don't you feel that way sometimes? We, we seem to always look, however, for the either or. And what Jesus is trying to get us to do here is see that the kingdom of God is not always either or, it's both and. We want to say, how did this happen? How did we get so out of line? How did the church become so difficult? How did our government become so corrupt? How did people become so selfish? How can we have so much hatred and violence and racism and murder and yet at the same time do so much good? And Jesus answers that. An enemy has done this. Let me help you, okay? I'm gonna help you because this has helped me. This has alleviated a lot of stress in my life. This has alleviated a lot of anger. This has alleviated a lot of tension in me when I realize this. Always keep your attention on the enemy. The weeds are not your enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Do not lose sight of what matters by focusing on the weeds. What happened? What happened? An enemy did this. Uh, I, I, let's get the weeds out. No, no, no. An enemy did this. Focus on the enemy. Here's how we want to respond. The servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them? Do you want us to step in the field and start yanking out weeds? Do you want us to go in there and start sorting through? Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume those two weeds over there? 
Would you like for us to gather up all the weeds in the church, all the weeds in the politics, all the weeds in the, my job, all the weeds in my family? Would you like me to gather up all the weeds? This is what I was talking about at the beginning. We want to get in there and sort it out. We want to get in the middle of the field and start pulling up the weeds. We want to separate. We want to get rid of the problems. We want to pull out the bad and leave the good. And we think that comes from such a pure heart. It never works, folks. It never works. You know why? Leonardo said no. Because if you gather the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat along with them. This is so important. And Christians, we have so much difficulty with this next part. Here's where we struggle so much. The weeds do not bother the wheat. Weeds do what weeds do. And wheat does what wheat does. The wheat will grow fine among the weeds. The weeds do not bother the wheat. The weeds bother us. The weeds are an inconvenience. We are impatient. We want to do something. Let's call fire down from heaven. We want to do something. Do you want us to get in the field and start yanking out the weeds? We want to do something. We got we to gotta fight. We got to resist. We want to remove what we define as the problem. We want to get that person out of office. We want to fire those people. We want to kick them out of the church. We want to stop them from getting their way. Those kinds of campaigns never work. Instead, let both grow side by side until the harvest. Leave them alone. Trust the process. The kingdom of heaven is bigger than you think. The kingdom of heaven is stronger than you think. The kingdom of heaven is healthier than you think. Leave it alone. Trust the process. The kingdom of God is alive and it is growing everywhere. The weeds will not stop the wheat. The weeds, however, will stop your peace. And you will worry and fret and get angry and mad and lose friends and lose churches and lose all kinds of things trying your best to get rid of the weeds. Well, then what do we do? Right here, right here. And at harvest time, I'll say to the harvesters, I'll say to the harvesters, when it's all said and done, I'll say to the harvesters, first, gather the weeds and tie them together into bundles to be burned, but bring the wheat into my barn. I'll take care of it. Rest, relax, trust. The story is not teaching us how he will take care of it. I'm just so glad he's gonna burn them up. That's my favorite part. When is he going to gather them and burn them? I just want to know when is he going to burn them because I got people that I just know needs to be burned. That's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is to rest instead of resist. By the way, it's possible there are a few of you here, a few watching, who feel that this whole take is a little passive. And you feel the need to resist evil and stand up and fight the enemy and, you know, be holy soldiers. Fine. But I want you to think about this. I love this quote. I've had this in my office for a number of years from Robert Capon. I love, I love what he says. He says, since good and evil in this world commonly inhabits not only the same field, but even the same individual human beings, 
Since that is, there are no unqualified good guys any more than there are any unqualified bad guys. The only result of a truly dedicated campaign to get rid of evil will be the abolition of literally everybody. So I have an idea. If you want to get militant and you want to remove the problems of this world and the problem with the church, why don't you start with you? Why don't you start with you? Because I would dare say there are probably at least one person in this world who thinks the world would be better without you in it. So why don't you fulfill their desire? Well, of course not. We're not going to do that. Right. Because that's impossible. You can't remove all the problems. Most of us don't even see the weeds of our own hearts. Most of us do not even see the weeds of our own, you know, our own personality, and our own issues. And that's the point that's being made. You can't remove every weed. We'd have to remove every person. And that's ridiculous. Plus, stop stressing. The weeds have no power over the wheat. The enemy cannot destroy the wheat. He can only counterfeit the wheat for a while. That's all. The wheat is sown all over the field and it will grow. It will bring a harvest. The weeds only inconvenience the farmer during the process. The enemy wants to remove the wheat, but he can't. So you know what he tries to do? Frustrate you so much, you'll do it for him. So you'll get in there and start yanking out the weeds. And all of a sudden you start yanking out the wheat. And he's like, yes. You ever seen a church get so up in arms and start fighting for what they think is good and all of a sudden they start yanking out the wheat only to, yanking out the weeds only to hurt the wheat. You know what? Do you have any idea how many sermons aimed at weeds in my life I have preached and at the end I just lost wheat? I've, well, I, used to, I, used to have a, I used to have a degree in weedology. I could see a weed a hundred yards away here comes a weed. I'm going to yank that weed. I'm going to put it in my sermon. I'm going to yank them out. I'm going to yank out three weeds and four stalks of wheat with it. Ah. Then he goes to a second parable. This is not as long. Don't look at your watch. He told another parable to them to drive the point home even further. The kingdom, of, in case that didn't work, in case you didn't see what I was saying, I'll give you another one. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in his field. Again, what is planted is planted everywhere, all through the field, not in some places and not in others, not here, but never there. It's sown everywhere. And it's the kingdom of heaven that is planted. And it's the kingdom of heaven that brings the harvest. The kingdom of heaven is what is sown and everything comes out of that seed. So start looking for the kingdom of heaven and you will find it. It is everywhere. He says it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it grows or when it's grown, it's the largest of all vegetable plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Now, for those of you who are ultra detailed, we know that mustard seeds are not the smallest of all known seeds. It, it should be read more like mustard seeds are among the smallest of all seeds. I think it's possible Jesus had a seed around or some mustard seeds were, mustard plants were close by and he uses them as a quick illustration and says, you know how small those mustard seeds are? The kingdom of heaven is like that. He just plants small little tiny seeds all over the place. 
And over time, it grows into a mustard plant. And there probably was a bird or something nearby that kind of perched on one of the branches of the mustard plants. And he said, it's like this. It grows into this large plant. And even birds come and nest in its branches. Jesus focuses on what the end will be. We want to focus on the present. He focuses on the end. We want to focus on the seed. He focuses on the plant that's grown in full maturity. It's a lush, the kingdom, tell me what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is a lush and beautiful kingdom spread wide and the birds of all the world come and rest in its branches. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's how you should think of the kingdom of heaven. It's not small with just people like you and our little church. It's huge with all kinds of different people inside it. It might seem small today, but it's not over. You know what he doesn't concentrate on? Weeds. It doesn't concentrate on the weeds. The kingdom of heaven is large. It's growing and it will not be stopped. All of you worried and stressed and making a fuss about the weeds, wishing that you could sort it all out. You would love to get in there and make things right. Calm down. This is not the end. Rest instead of resist. Then Jesus gives us a similar parable to drive home the point even further, the third and even shorter parable. He told them another parable. In case the first one didn't work. You know the whole weed thing? Weed? Yeah, got it. Did you understand it? Kind of. Okay. Well, let's talk about mustard seeds. Do you get that? Yeah, that makes it more sense. Okay, great. Let me give you one more. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and hid in a bushel of wheat flour until the yeast had worked its way all through the dough. Very interesting. Same idea, being hammered home. This time, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who takes yeast and works into a large, it's very interesting, a bushel of wheat, wheat flour, is about 40 to 60 pounds of flour. That's a lot of bread. That's a lot of bread. That's the point. Big again. You see that? It's an entire field of wheat. It's a mustard plant that grows so much larger than the seed. It is yeast that works its way through 60 pounds of flour. How much bread would that make? So much that she couldn't carry it out when it's all finished. So large that it would take the community to eat it all. That's the point he's making. Pay attention to the exact words. The yeast works its way through all the dough. The farmer sowed in his field. The person sowed mustard seeds in the field. And the yeast worked its way through the large amount of dough, enough to feed her entire community. The kingdom of heaven is sown everywhere in all people, and it is growing bigger and bigger every day. So how do you respond to this? Man, I got to the end of this message, and I was like, man, that's good. And I was like, I got to wrap this thing up, not keep them here all day. So I'm going to make a quick landing, okay? Hold on. Turbulence ahead. How do we respond to this? Two quick thoughts. One, rest is so much better than resisting. So much of the anger you feel throughout the church culture today from those who profess to follow Jesus, it's because they're not resting. They're resisting. Jesus stood up and said, all of you who are weary, tired, burdened, and heavy laden, Come to me, and I will give you rest. 
He doesn't say, those of you who are tired of fighting and, and, and you don't know what to do with all the evil in the world and you're out there like this religious zealots, come to me and I will teach you how to resist further. Come to me and I will teach you how to take up arms and really do a, a number on the enemy. No, he says, come to me and I will teach you how to rest. 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 Wait until the harvest and it will be seen for what it truly is. Same on social media platforms and news channels and sermons and talk radio, on and on and on. We want to resist, 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 fight, fight, fight. Rest. Number two, rejoicing is so much better than retreating. Look for the kingdom of heaven everywhere and rejoice when you see it. Learn to have eyes that are open, hearts that are attuned. I promise you, I promise you, you will see the kingdom of heaven hidden in places that you have never thought to look before if you will only have an eyes, that, the eyes that's open and a heart that is open. We are unaware of God's kingdom. It's, it's like, and I won't even get into this parable, maybe we'll do it another time. It's like a jewel that's hidden in a field. It's like yeast in dough. It's like seeds in a field. It's like these things that are hidden that you don't see. They're working, but you don't see exactly how they work and when they're going to spring up. Look for the kingdom of heaven everywhere and rejoice every single time you see it. The kingdom of heaven is sitting across you from you in coffee shops and airports and cafeterias and gyms. Do you see it? Sometimes the kingdom of heaven is more clearly seen when you're sitting on a bar stool than when you're sitting on a pew. So I don't, I don't understand that. I know, we can't see it. I've sat in churches many times and thought this place seems further from God than the movie I just watched. Remember, wheat and weeds look similar for a long time. Give it time. Give it time. Be patient. Trust. I've seen a lot of weeds in churches and I've seen a lot of wheat in the streets. Rest and rejoice. Rest and rejoice. Rest and rejoice. Doesn't that sound a lot more like Jesus and the kingdom of God than getting angry and fighting and trying to sort it all out and yanking wheat up with the weeds? Yes. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you take this truth and you so bury it deeply within our hearts that, Father, we begin to see the kingdom of heaven everywhere we go, that we will stop thinking that somehow it's only when we walk in the doors out front and we sit in these seats or it's only present when we're feeding someone who's hungry or giving away something to someone who needs it. It is there. Absolutely it is there. But God, it is also in the school line when we're taking our kids and dropping them off, picking them up, doing homework, doing our chores. It's also when we're working, when we're flying somewhere, when we're commuting. It's also when we're laughing over a cup of coffee. It's also when we watch a movie. It's also everywhere. God, help us see your kingdom. God, open our eyes that we might see things deeper and respond and rejoice everywhere it is. And Father, may we step back and watch the entire process unfold and trust that this is your field.
This is your plant. This is your dough. You will work the process out. And one day we will stand and we will say, he has done it. And we will rejoice forever and ever and ever at the one who is making all things new. The cross accomplished it. Now may we rejoice in the reality of it and live every day of our lives in praise, worship, and adoration. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you go today, we got something that I think we should rejoice over. Uh, this past week, we had an incredible week of VBS here at Forest Park, and Miss Allison Chandler, if you know her, she worked so hard to make VBS a fun experience for the kids. They worked hours and hours to make it a reality. We had kids packed over in the Kid Venture Auditorium, and long story short, we want to show you a quick video. This is the last thing we're going to do, but this is just a compilation of this past week, so you can kind of see what our kids, your kids, maybe your grandkids were part of it, and those of you who didn't you know, serve maybe this past week. Maybe next year you'll want to jump in and help, but it's just such a great week and we always want to take time to celebrate what they did. As soon as the video's over, I'll come back and dismiss you. If you can stay for just a few minutes and watch this, I think you'll enjoy it.
Tell me that wasn't fun, huh? Let's give them a big hand. They did a great job, yeah. You know, typically at the end of the week, they always have the pie in the eye who brings in the most money, this side or this side. They brought in over $500. The kids brought in over $500 in those few nights just in money that they brought in for the offering. And then and here's really cool. They, they normally have just two uh, um, pies filled with whipped cream, but they requested a cherry pie and a pumpkin pie. So that's what they got this year. So we had cherry and pumpkin pie all over the place. Thank you guys for being here today. It's an honor to always be in service with you. I hope you've learned something today. I hope you've grown some today. And rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Rest, rest, rest. Have an incredible day. Happy Father's Day. And we'll see you soon. Bye.